You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. So as we talked about a little bit in our beginning, we're continuing with this series called the tree of life. This is week two. It's an interesting title to our series when you really think about it, especially when you consider what happened last week. If you missed missed part one of the series, I would highly suggest that you go back and, and listen to Pastor Gerber's message because it really sets the table as we move forward. Pastor Gerber reminded us last week that it all started in the beginning. It started with God speaking the world into existence with his powerful word. And speak it into existence he did. And on the sixth day, he he didn't say that it was just good. He said it was very good was perfect but it didn't stay perfect very long did it pastor Gerber reminded us what happened the fallen angel Satan he tempted his special creation his special creatures man Adam and Eve with a temptation that they simply couldn't resist and the tree in the middle of garden quickly became the tree of death. He put it this way, one moment changed creation. One moment changed creation. And that one moment when man gave into the the temptation of being like God. I love the way Pastor Gerber put it last week. Adam and Eve had two choices. Listen to the creator or listen to a creature. As we know, they listen to the creature, Satan in the form of a serpent. What was God to do now? His special, perfect creation had been broken by sin. It had broken been broken by the special caretakers that he created to take care of this amazing, perfect creation. They had given into the temptation to be like him. So God had two choices. He could have ended it all, or he could set into, into motion a salvation plan to save it, even though we didn't deserve anything but eternal damnation. End it or save it. Thanks be to God, he chose to save it. Not only did he choose to save it, he chose to save you, and he chose to save me. Genesis 3.15, 
and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The he God is referring to when he's speaking to Satan is his own son, Jesus Christ. Yes, the Son of God will crush the head of Satan, and crush him he did by suffering and dying and rising again after three days from the dead. What a journey it was in God's salvation plan for those 4,000 years between the promise of salvation, Genesis 3.15, until Jesus came. So many twists and so many turns, so many bumps along the way, they're almost endless. On Wednesdays we have a Bible class and we're, we're studying, it's actually called Sin to Salvation, and we haven't gotten very far. We're in 1 Samuel. In two years, we've covered 14 whole chapters. That's how much is in his salvation plan. So we can't cover it all today, but we're going to hit the highlights. Today, I'd like to remind you of some of his amazing narrative, of his story. From where we left off last week at the promise of salvation all the way to what we read today in Genesis 22 when God commands Abraham to sacrifice his own son. But we're going to have a little fun with it along the way. So I am asking for audience participation. Actually, I'm encouraging it. We do some of this on Wednesday mornings sometimes when we do reviews. The first part of the narrative moving forward then from Genesis 3.15 is we go to chapter 4. So here we go. Who can decode this question from Genesis chapter 4? Am I my brother's keeper? And who said that, Dwayne? Cain said that because... God was asking him, where is your brother? Because Cain had just given in to supreme jealousy. Not just a little jealousy. So much jealousy that he killed his brother Abel. And even though God offered to protect him, to save him, to forgive him, Cain rejected it all. And many, if not most, of his descendants went with him on a path of destruction, not of faithfulness. They followed in those faithless footsteps. So God gave Adam and Eve another son to move this salvation plan forward. A little hint, it rhymes with Beth. His name is Seth. And though Seth and through Seth, the salvation plan would continue. But not without more bumps, more twists, and more turns. And although Seth was faithful to the promises of God, 
particularly to the promise that he was going to save them, he was going to send a Savior, his hope dwindled because people came more and more faithless. And after almost 1,500 years after Seth was born, the world had become almost completely corrupt and unfaithful. And there was only one man and his family that remained faithful. Who was that? Of course, it was Noah. Yeah, it was Noah. But God was so grieved over this violence and unfaithfulness of his people because it was the mess of messes. So God decided to send the flood of floods, and it nearly wiped out all of humanity. But God had compassion on, Mo, on Noah and his family. He warned Noah of the flood in advance and instructed him to build an ark in the middle of a desert. Can you imagine? But he did it. And God faithfully preserved Noah and his family and creatures of the earth on this ark. And after the flood, God did something. He made something. When I used to teach fifth grade religion, I used to call it a promise on steroids. What did God, God make with Noah? A, a covenant. A covenant. And that covenant was, I will never send another flood to destroy the world. And what sign did he give Noah that he would not destroy the world? A rainbow. Yes, a rainbow. And God gave an important command to Noah and his family when they discarded from the ark onto the dry land. Here's a hint. A Little Richard song. Now, some of you don't know who Little Richard is. Raise your hand if you know who Little Richard. Okay. So one of his most famous songs, and here's your hint, is Tutti Frutti, right? Tutti Frutti, oh Rudy. Tutti Frutti, oh Rudy. And then we're going to stop right there because then he starts talking about all his girlfriends. Right? I know a girl named Daisy. No, we're not going to go there. Tutti Frutti. So what did God instruct Noah and his family to do? To do what? Be fruitful and multiply. And that's exactly what they did. So after the flood, God blessed Noah and his descendants, and the earth was repopulated. But, unfortunately, a similar pattern of unfaithfulness, it happens all over again. People forgetting God's promise, people rejecting God's promise, and more and more people forgot about his gracious promise of a savior. So this time, God used another man and his wife 
to continue and move his plan of salvation forward. They lived roughly 2,000 years before Jesus was born. A and S, but what are their original names? Abram and Sarai. Yes, Abram and Sarai. From this elderly couple, God would raise up a people that the Christ, the Savior, would be born through. And he established a new covenant with Abram. He promised Abram three things. Now, we're really going to test your IQ as far as this story is concerned because I'm going to ask you to see if you can remember, but I will give you hints of the three things that God promised Abram in this covenant. The first one, shout it out, land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he promised that him descendants and they would be a great nation. And the third promise, Abraham and his descendants, this great nation who are going to live in this promised land will be a blessing to all people, not just the chosen people, be a blessing to all people. That's why we're sitting here today. Faithful Abram, Abram and faithful Sarai, they obeyed God. And they wandered 400 miles It'd be like wandering from Fremont almost all the way to Denver on foot with all of their herds. And God blessed Abram with huge herds and he had servants. But he said, you're not going to stay here at Harem where you grew up. You're going to go to this land flowing with milk and honey. So that's what they did. But it was quite a journey. We could spend all day just talking about the journey and the twists and turns. But we don't have time for that this morning, so we're going to keep rolling. We're going to keep pushing forward with this plan of salvation. So after 25 years, Abram still doesn't have a son. Now how can you have descendants without a son, right? He's almost 100 years old. Sarai is 90. It was at that time that God renewed his covenant with Abram and Sarai. And he changed their names to Abraham and Sarah. Good job, you guys. When she was 90 years old, Sarah has a son through Abraham. 90 years old. And what was his name? Isaac. Yes, finally the promised son. The son needed to fulfill the promises to make a great nation, to be a blessing to all peoples. But something startling happened several years later after Isaac was born. He was probably 11, 12, maybe early teenage years. God gave Abraham a command. A command that would test Abraham's faith like nothing else could. 
Genesis 22, 2. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Wow. Are you kidding me? Raise your hand if you have a son. Raise your hand if you have an only son. Raise your hand if you have a son named Isaac. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Take your son. Walk him up that hill. Kill him and sacrifice him for me. That was his command. But Abraham did the opposite of what Adam and Eve did last week. They didn't obey God's command to not mess with the tree in the middle of the garden of good and evil. Abraham obeyed. He did what God commanded of him. He didn't try to figure out God's reason for the command. In simple trust and obedience, he took Isaac, he took wood, he took a knife, and he took some fire. And they walked up that mountain together to sacrifice Isaac, his only son. When they arrived, Abraham tied up Isaac. He laid him on the wood, and he raised his knife to slay him. But suddenly, Abraham heard a voice calling out, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. It was at this point that Abraham looked up and saw a ram that was caught by its horns in a thorny thicket. And Abraham took the ram and offered it instead of his son. And he named that mountain something. Do you remember what he named that mountain? The Lord will provide. There you go. The Lord will provide. And provide he did. And provides he does. It's easy to be astonished at Abraham's faith and obedience and willingness to sacrifice his only son Isaac. But sometimes we fail to see how God spared Isaac. He provided a ram to take Isaac's place, to be his substitute. It points us to another substitute, doesn't it? A substitute that you need, a substitute that I need, a substitute that would suffer and die for your sins so that you can live eternally with God. And that substitute, well, that substitute has a name. His name is Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
the Lamb of God who wasn't caught by his horns in the thickets encircled by thorns, the Lamb of God who wore a crown of thorns encircled around his head as he willingly, mercifully went to the cross to die for you and to die for me. A thorn of, a thorn of crowns. A crown of thorns. That he willingly, he willingly walked to the hill of Calvary to suffer and to die so that the Father's salvation plan could be complete. Do you remember Jesus' last words on the cross? It is finished. The story that we're working through. So as you see, little by little, as, the, as we work through the Old Testament times, as we pass through them, God will reveal more and more about this amazing salvation plan. It leads to the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, but that whole divine narrative is still not finished, is it? Because it leads to his son coming back again to restore and make this world again, his creation, glorious on the last day. You see, through our struggles in this broken world, God does provide. It's not always easy. But you see, he has already provided the most important grace filled blessing that we will ever receive that will ever be provided for us in the form of his own son he has provided the one and only sacrifice that is needed to pay the penalty for our sins each and every one of our sins in Christ Jesus we are complete we are pardoned and we have peace. And when he comes again on the last day to complete this narrative, it's then that he will restore your heart. He will restore your soul. He will re restore your mind and your body. He will make all things new again. And he will gather all of us believers to live in his glorious presence for all eternity. Living in his presence perfectly restored heaven and earth forever and forever. Amen? Amen. Amen.